Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in the book of Acts this morning, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, our study is entitled, What Makes Us Who We Are? And as we look through the book of Acts, we're looking at the early church, the formation of the early church, and we're kind of unpacking what makes us who we are. I don't know of a more pivotal chapter in the New Testament than Acts chapter 2. There's so much that happens there. We've been in it a few weeks. We'll continue today, beginning in verse 37. And as we begin today, we will unpack this question, what shall we do? It's an interesting question that the men and women posed to Peter after Peter preaches his sermon. And what we're going to find today is really the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel has been perverted over time. We've allowed our perspective and our paradigm to influence and change the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. In fact, we've found it necessary to describe the gospel with other words like the prosperity gospel or other types of gospels. We've let our politics influence the gospel. We've let our culture influence the gospel. We've allowed our own perspective to influence the gospel, when in reality, the gospel should be influencing our perspective. The gospel should be influencing our culture. The gospel should be influencing our politics in any way that we live out our lives. Paul says this in the book of Romans in chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so today as we answer this question, what shall we do? We rest on the simple power and truth of the gospel. Now, I understand that most of us listening to today's message, whether you're online or here in the building, most of us have embraced the truths that we're about to present today. It's still for us. It's for us for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's important for us to remind ourselves what is the good news of the gospel. But then it's also important for us to embrace it to the level where we can then share it with others. And so today we're going to look at four incredible truths from Peter's sermon and then the proper response to the gospel. We'll begin in verse 37. It says this. Now when they heard this, everyone say this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
We get to verse 37, their text for today in Scripture says this, when they heard this. When they heard Peter's sermon, you remember how Acts chapter 2 unfolds. Acts chapter 2 and verses, uh, the first few verses, they're all together in the upper room. They're all in one accord. Uh, it's the first mention of cars in the Bible, right? They were all in one accord. Um, they're all together here. They're all in unity is what they're describing. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And the way the Holy Spirit manifests themselves unto them is they begin preaching the gospel in languages they had never learned, in languages they had never been trained for. And people started hearing the gospel in their own language. And when they saw this, you remember the first reaction? Boy, they're all drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They've already blitzed. And so Peter says, first of all, no, they're not drunk. But second of all, thus says the Lord. And he begins preaching this message. And he quotes from both uh, Joel and then he cre uh, quotes from two chapters in Psalms. So when they heard this, what did they hear from, sermons mess uh, from Peter's sermon? What did they hear? What was the this? Here's the four powerful truths that they saw. What did they hear? Number one, the gospel is for everyone. Let's say that together. The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you are part of the Jewish culture or the Gentile culture. It didn't matter if you were man or women, uh, if you were inside or outside, if you were clean or unclean. The gospel is for everyone. He describes from Joel, the prophecy from Joel, where he said that uh, the young men shall dream dreams and the old men shall uh, see visions and all of these things will happen and it shall come to pass that everyone, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No longer was circumcision part of the equation. No longer was being in the right bloodline in terms of being Jewish was part of the equation. No longer was there all these things and rituals that had to come. Simply, the gospel was for everyone now. Second, what did they hear? They heard this, Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord. Now they had been waiting, the Jewish people had been waiting for a Messiah for 400 years. They had been waiting, they had been waiting for a prophet to tell them to announce the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. And yet when he did arrive, they couldn't believe it. They rejected the Messiah, many of them just a few, 50, a few weeks earlier rejected this Messiah. And yet Peter's message did something else. He said he's not only the Messiah, he is the Lord, the Adonai, God Almighty. Jesus is God. Not only is he our Messiah, but he is deified. He is God. So the gospel is for everyone. Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord. But thirdly, you crucified this same Jesus. Peter was bold. He declared to them exactly what they had did. You remember the last festival was Passover. Before Pentecost was the Passover festival. And that was the weekend that Jesus was crucified. And so many in the audience that were gathered here at Pentecost most likely stayed over from Passover. And they were most likely the same group of people that were in the crowd shouting, crucify him. 
They were now there at Pentecost, seeing the Holy Spirit come down, asking, what shall we do? So Peter reminds them of these things. He said, first, the gospel is for everyone, man and woman, Jew and Gentile. Everyone is able to come to Jesus. Jesus is Messiah and Lord. Not only is he the promised one, he is God in the flesh. And you crucified this same Jesus. Your sin crucified this same Jesus. And then fourth thing, the fourth thing they heard is this. Jesus has resurrected and is alive. Now to be clear, these four truths are life-changing when embraced. And if you look through Peter's sermon, this is the four basic points of his sermon. And then this is what happened. Verse 37 Now, when they heard this, these truths we just talked about, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Boy, the Bible is so descriptive here. He says they were cut to the heart. The King James Version says they were pricked in their heart. Another uh, version will say they're pierced in their heart. And this here is the working of the Holy Spirit. This was obviously a significant work of the Holy Spirit. The response of the crowd helps us uh, put into perspective the day's events. You see, the exercise of the gift of tongues, if you read back in Acts chapter 2, what did that produce? That produced astonishment and attention, right? They were astonished. And to be true, this is a miracle, It was a miracle for them to be able to start speaking in a language they had never learned. I don't know about you, but have you found yourself in a position where that would be helpful? (laughs) And so it was something to be astonished about. It also produced attention. People were saying, well, my goodness, they're drunk. By the way, I don't know how being drunk explains speaking in a language you never learned. But it, it, it drew attention. It drew astonishment and attention. It wasn't, though, until the gospel was preached that conviction came from the Holy Spirit. The great crowd listening to Peter was deeply moved by Peter's bold declaration and proclamation of truth. And so they asked Peter how they should respond. What shall we do? What this is describing is the moving of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart. You see, there is a difference between conviction and guilt or shame. And for some of us, this may be the most important truth we hear today. Conviction from the Holy Spirit leads us to God through repentance and confession. Guilt and shame from the devil withdraw us from God and his people into isolation. Now it's pretty important that we become discerning in our own lives and in the lives of others where we can kind of start recognizing what conviction looks like and what guilt and shame look like. Because both of those voices will come into our heart and it's important we recognize where the voice is coming from so we can learn how to respond. So if you're convicted from the Holy Spirit Typically, what that will look like is um, there is a truth that comes into your life. 
Maybe it's on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. Maybe it's on a Sunday morning through a song, right? We're going to sing a song here in a few minutes that says, I'm no longer a slave to fear, right? And maybe that convicts your heart. Uh, Maybe it's from a friend who speaks truth in your life. Maybe it's in your uh, Bible reading and you're going through the Bible and uh, you read a story or you read a verse and all of a sudden you're convicted. Uh, That'll happen. And, And how you know it's conviction is this. It'll lead you to God through repentance and confession. It'll give you the desire to say, man, I want to make this right. I want to reestablish relationship with my maker. I want to confess this, and I want to repent. Guilt and shame look like this. You're reminded of something, or maybe you hear something, and all of a sudden... The guilt and shame come into your life, and instead of wanting to go to God, you find yourself retreating. And, and, and the next time, you just retreat a little bit more. You start withdrawing from your time of prayer. You start withdrawing from, uh, from, from Scripture. You start not paying attention to the message anymore because you're so stricken by the guilt or the shame And so next week, uh, you're going to watch the service online. Uh, The week after that, you're just, you're going to say that you're watched on. Or maybe you're logged on, but it's muted. (laughs) Uh, Someone from church calls and invites you to go to coffee, and you just, you have to work that day. Right? Because there's something happening in your life and it's pulling you away. Now, in my experience, when you hear that voice, that's the voice from the enemy of our soul. And maybe you've already gotten forgiveness, or you repented from whatever you're reminded of, but the devil comes back and says, well, don't you remember you can't? Are you sure you're okay to, because in the past you've, remember when you lost your temper? Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? Are you, are you good enough to go to, are you good enough to, to serve? So you got to evaluate yourself. Is what is happening in my heart leading me to God or away from God? Is it leading me to church or away from his people? This was not guilt or shame talking when Peter preached this sermon. When all of a sudden he started describing that the gospel was for everyone and the Jews were looking around and said, my goodness, we have excluded people from the gospel. We've excluded Gentiles from the gospel. We've excluded all these people from the gospel. When he preached and said, Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord, and then said, my goodness, we have rejected him as our Messiah. We were in the crowd that said, crucify him. When he reminded them that they crucified the same Jesus, they were reminded of being in the crowd. And maybe they didn't shout, but maybe they were consenting to his death. When they were reminded that Jesus was resurrected and alive, the first response with them was this, What shall we do? What can I do to make it right? They were being led to God through this repentance and confession. Here's Peter's response, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, 
every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His response is twofold. Repent and be baptized. Say those words ready to, together with me. Ready, begin. Repent and be baptized. So repent. In the Old Testament, there's two Hebrew words help us understand repentance, and there's one New Testament word. So the first word is, in Hebrew, it's nahaim. I think that's how you say it. I just pretended that. I don't know. It means to turn around or to change the mind. To turn around, to turn around, churn, to turn around or to change the mind. The second word is this word sub. It's used over 600 times in the Old Testament and it's usually translated by these words, turn, return, seek or restore. Uh, the phrase is something like this, to turn to the Lord with all your heart. That would be that word sub. When you come to the New Testament, there's one word uh, used for repentance, and that's this word metanoia, which literally means to change the mind. So repentance fundamentally means to change your mind about something. It has to do with the way you think about something. You have been thinking one way, but now you think the opposite way. This is repentance, the changing of the mind. Let's suppose a man wanted to learn how to parachute. Anybody ever jump out of a plane with a parachute? I've thought about doing it. I kind of like to. <laughs> Libby always makes that face when I say that. I've thought about bungee jumping, but bungee jumping terrifies me. Because after you drop, you just, that doesn't appeal to me at all. Right? But parachute, and you get the one exhilarating, and then you land, hopefully, right? That's an important part. Let's just say someone wants to learn how to parachute. So they go to parachute school, and they show him how to rig up the gear, and they pull the ripcord, how to land safely. How many of you know you just can't get up in the plane? You have to go through a course. Finally, the day comes when they take him up in the airplane, and he's scared to death, but He's afraid to back out, and so the moment comes when he's about to jump. He goes to the door of the plane, and he sees the ground several thousand feet below. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. He's about to throw up, and someone behind him is trying to push him out the door, right? push him out the open door. He's ready. He has everything. He's fully intended. He has paid the fee. He has signed all the disclosures. He has waived liability. He is standing on the door and someone has their hand behind him said, one, two, three, ready, go. And in that moment, his knees buckle and he stops and he says, I'm not going to do it. And the, and the instructor says, you can, you can do this. You've done everything you need to do. And the, the guy says, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to jump. The man has repented. <laughs> he changed his mind in a decisive way. Here's repentance. It's a change in the way you think that leads to a change in the way we live. If we come to church on Sundays 
if we sing worship songs through the week, if we uh, do any of the things we associate with our faith, but it doesn't change the way we live, repentance hasn't happened. Uh, Romans 12 says it this way, don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind. In this sense, repentance is a word of great hope for us. It says you don't have to continue the way you've been going. You can turn to God. And when you really change your mind about something, it's going to change the way you think about it, talk about it, feel about it, act about it. It is a decisive change in direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of thinking, that leads to a change of attitude, that leads to a change of feeling, that leads to a change of values, that leads to a change in the way you live. Repentance means a change. I'd, I'd write these two words down with repentance, I'd, or this one word. I'd write down the word repentance, and then I'd write down the word allegiance. Because that's what Scripture is really describing. It says, for, for, for so long, I'm going to walk this way. I'm walking in the way of my own selfish ambition. I'm walking in the way of things I have learned to do on my own. I'm walking in the way of my own sin, the way of my own pride, um, my own selfish, selfish intents. And one day I hear the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus tells me this, I don't have to go down this way anymore. Because if I keep going down this way, it'll lead to destruction. It'll lead to the loss of relationship. It'll lead to barrenness. It'll lead to an eternity without Christ in hell. If I keep going down this way, that is what's going to happen. Yet the good news of Jesus says this, he died on the cross that I would not have to go this way anymore, but that my sin nature would be paid for. And so repentance means this. I change the way I think. So instead of going this way anymore, I change my thinking to go this way. And now because of the renewal of my mind, I've changed my mind any steps I make are now in direct opposite of the way I used to go. It is a change of allegiance. It is a change of lordship. Going this way, my, I was my own lord. I was my own master. I was a slave to my own sin. I was a slave to my guilt and my shame. And then the good news of the gospel came into my life, and I've repented. I've changed allegiances. The Lord is my Savior now. And it doesn't mean our life gets perfect. It doesn't mean that every sin that we used to uh, commit is now has no power on us. It means now that we have a different allegiance. And as difficult as it might be to walk this way, we have a different allegiance. No longer are we going this way. We're going this way. This is repentance. It's a change. So can you come to Christ without having a change in your life? Can you come to Christ and repent and still live the same life? Well, let me ask you this. Can you travel in opposite directions at the same time? So, so these men and women were, were, were looking at these truths that Peter had preached, and they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. And be baptized. We talk about baptism. And baptism is this thing that we celebrate. And we are um, um, 
we celebrate it here. Uh, the definition is this, to dip in or under, to dip, to immerse, to plunge, to submerge, to sink. Now, Acts chapter 2 is not the first time we see baptism, right? Yeah, we see it in the Gospels. Matthew 3, Jesus was baptized. The verbiage is very clear. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately went into the water and then up from out of the water. Here's something interesting as we go through the book of Acts. Every time we see someone baptized in the book of Acts, it is a statement of faith at the moment of conversion. It's at the moment of conversion. There is no delay. There is no waiting period. There is no heating up of the water. They just found water and they got baptized. And the power of the text revealed in Acts 2 is, that, is this. There is hope in our lives where there seems to be no way. God makes a way. The truths are simple. Gospel is for everyone. Jesus is our Messiah and the Lord. Our sins have crucified him and yet he has resurrected and he is alive. There is still hope. And the vehicle of our hope is simply this. We are to repent and be baptized. We don't have to continue to go the same way anymore. We have a way to change our allegiance. There's a few notes on baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 says this. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you all were also raised and with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism pictures the very death of Jesus Christ the very burial of Jesus Christ, and also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It pictures us submitting our life to him, dying, our, dying to our own self, our own uh, will, our own selfishness, and being raised in his resurrection. It's interesting because when we talked about guilt and shame earlier, uh, baptism is one of the only things I can, I can think of in terms of our our response to God that addresses both guilt and shame. Guilt is something that happens when we cross a line that we shouldn't have crossed, right? When we did something we shouldn't have done and we haven't got forgiveness for it, and we haven't got reconciliation for it, and so we have this guilt. I stole when I shouldn't have stole. I committed adultery when I shouldn't have committed adultery. I, I, I did this. I crossed a line that I should not have crossed. I've missed this mark. And, and until I get forgiveness, there's this guilt that hangs over us. And the solution for that is forgiveness. Shame is when we don't measure up to a standard. And we feel less than worthy. And we feel shame because we haven't measured up. And the solution to that is reconciliation with God and with others. Baptism is this thing that affords us the opportunity to be both forgiven and reconciled with God and his people. So it's an act of obedience God asks us to identify with him and his, and his people, but it's also an act of faith. Um, Colossians 2 and verse 12, we just read that. Look at 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection, <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it is an act of faith. It is also a display of unity in Christ. Ephesians 4 says it this way. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Baptism is this display of unity. Now, before the time of the Gospels, you think back on how Jews and Gentiles would display their allegiance to Jesus. So if you were a Jewish person in the Jewish culture, these are some of the things that you would do to display your allegiance to Jesus. You would get circumcised as a male. Uh, You would keep the law. You would preserve the culture. You would honor the law and the statutes that were given to you. As a Gentile, they were asked to be circumcised, to leave their culture, to join the culture that the Jews had preserved. So baptism afforded this new covenant that was the ultimate display of unity in Christ because both Jews and Gentiles would both be baptized in the same way, in the same water, because there's one Lord of all. Now, some of you may be considering baptism, and for whatever reason, you're just not ready. Uh, Maybe you're here in the building, or maybe you're watching online, and you have have attended church for years, and you just don't think you're ready. Uh, It's embarrassing. You've attended for church so long that at this point, it would be embarrassing to get baptized. I think one of the joys I've had as pastor is uh, is baptizing someone that is uh, older in their years, Uh, Darren, I don't know if you remember, we had the opportunity to baptize a couple, I think they were in their 70s together. Been going to church for years, but they just realized they had never made that commitment, that step. And when they recognized they didn't, they wanted to as soon as they could. Maybe you're too embarrassed, maybe you're too old. Maybe you're wondering what will people think. Maybe you're asking yourselves, do you really have to? Lovingly, as your pastor, let me tell you this. The reasons we come up with not getting baptized pale in comparison with the reason God asks us to get baptized. And that is to identify with him and his people. This is an invitation from God to identify with him. He is inviting you. Galatians 3 says it this way. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know how earth shattering that was for them to hear? Wait, there's no Jew or Greek? Then what are we? You're under Christ now. But there's no, uh, there's no free or non-free because uh, there's no slave and master anymore. There's no, there's no, what he's saying is there's no hierarchy anymore in the family of God. We're all in Christ Jesus. There's no male and female. What is he saying? He's saying that we were born equal and we're now equal in the family of God. We're all one in Christ Jesus. As I was researching baptism and I was researching Acts chapter 2 and the implications of Peter's message when he said, repent and be baptized, uh, it's the same message that John uh, preached in Matthew 3, right? 
John was maybe a little more forceful, had a little bit more elaborate clothing on, but it was the same message. I learned that as I was studying that the Jewish people had been baptizing people for years. They had baptized people even before the time of the Gospels. They had a different word for it, but it was essentially the same thing. And they would get baptized anytime they felt unclean. They would have a spot in their home or in one of their neighbor's home, and it was just a pool. And you would go in, and you would just go, and you would, the water would come up to your waist or so, and you'd just go, and you'd dunk yourself and get baptized. Uh, every time that you felt like you violated a law, you would go. When you came in contact with someone who was unclean, a Gentile, you would go. If you're a business person, this would happen every day, right? So every day they just go home and get baptized. When they went into town, when they came back, just to be safe. Multiple times a week, maybe, time, maybe every day. You see, because for them, that baptism wasn't to identify with Jesus and his people. It was to wash away the stench of outsiders. Christian baptism was and is 100% different. It is to identify with God and his people. If you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus and you've never taken the step of identifying with God, the reasons you have, I would love to sit down and chat with you. But to be clear, they pale in comparison to what Jesus, to why God asks us to be baptized. We continue reading in Acts chapter 2, and it says this in verse 40. With many other words, he bore witness. That's Luke's saying, way of saying Peter went on and on and on and on. I think there's like 12 messages recorded in Acts. I think not all of them are recorded verbatim. But Luke is basically saying, with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Look at the response in verse 41. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. What an amazing response. 3,000 souls. We're going to do math as we go through uh, the first about eight or nine chapters because every time someone preaches, there's several thousand people getting saved. And at some point, there's 10, 12, 15,000 people recorded in the book of Acts receiving the gospel. It makes me wonder, why don't we see this type of response today? You ever ask yourself that? Why don't we see this response today? My best response or my best answer to that is this. It totally does. Just because we don't see it in our current context doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. The movement of Jesus Christ moves far outside our borders in Douglas County, our borders in Oregon, our borders in the United States. And if you do the research, there's stories of the movement of Holy Spirit abound in Latin America, in Africa, in villages in India. We just spent a month in February highlighting what God is doing around the world through the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so I would caution us against saying, boy, this just doesn't happen anymore. 
where I think it truly does happen in places in the world. But when you look at the response in Acts chapter 2, they that received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. My favorite baptism story in scripture is a little bit later. It's in Acts chapter 8. We'll unpack it more then. But Philip is there, and he's preaching, and verse 35 says this, Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preaching Jesus to him, the Philip, uh, the Ethiopian. Verse 36 says this, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, hey, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they waited till the next Sunday and they got the pool warmed up. His friends and family gathered and they had cupcakes after synagogue. I love the urgency in verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. The King James Version says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let me say a prayer for you this morning. Heavenly Father, as we consider the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel, I pray that you would not allow us to distort it at all. May it be crystal clear that as long as there's breath behind this pulpit at this church, that we would preach the truth and the simplicity of the gospel. Father, that we would embrace truly in our context that the gospel is for everyone. And it doesn't matter if you walk in and you have a roof over your head or you don't. It doesn't matter if you walk in and you have an education or you don't. It doesn't matter if you walk in and who you know or who you don't know. Let us truly embrace with all of our hearts that the gospel is for everyone. May we all remember there was a point where we were in search of the gospel or we needed the gospel for ourselves. I pray as pastor of this church, pastors, Darren and I, that the elders of this church, that we would never ever stray away from the truth of the gospel that we would be faithful to scripture as you have preserved it that we would be faithful to how you have called us unto yourselves Father may we embrace that you are Messiah and Lord there is so much confusion in our culture on who Jesus is he has been reduced to a teacher to a man of good ethics and good values to a leadership guru, to an orator. Father, he was so much more. Father, he, was, he is our Messiah and our Lord. May we never stray away from that. May we recognize that it was our sin that crucified this same Jesus, that it was our brokenness, our, our sin nature. We thank you that he paid the price for us that we might be saved. Thank you that Jesus is resurrected and is alive. 
their heads bowed for just a moment. Have you gladly received his word? Are these truths that you have embraced? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? Have you been baptized? Every single time we see it in Scripture, in Acts, it is an immediate response at the point of conversion to the gospel. And so I ask you, have you been baptized? Have you identified with God and his followers, his church? If you need to make either one of those decisions, Scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. For whoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And yet there's no one righteous. No, not one. So how does that happen? It happens when we put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross. And when we declare him Lord and Savior of our life, it means that we have been traveling one way. We've been traveling in our own wisdom, in our own selfishness in our own sin and in a moment's notice when we receive when we gladly receive his word the good news of Jesus we change allegiance and we repent and we follow after him it doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean that we're perfect all of a sudden it just means that we have found a new allegiance in our life and we've declared Jesus our Lord and Savior. We've embraced and declared him Lord of our life. We claim his gift of salvation. And from now on, we have a new way we walk. Repentance is this way that changes the way we think in so much that it changes the way we live. And if you've done that or you're doing that today, might I encourage you to reach out so that you can be baptized. Let's not delay let us not delay on the invitation of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.